Well, three weeks from today, we will start a new series in the book of Daniel. It's looking toward seeing God's program for future times. Uh, but today we complete a series that we have been doing through a section of the book of Matthew. Uh, we will come back to Matthew at a later date. It's a long book, and so I'd like to break it up in sections, but we are coming to a section break here and at the end of chapter 13. So today we'll focus in on Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, down through verse 52. We noted in our series that Jesus gave us a, almost like a theme or a theme verse for the section in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, when he said, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We have seen that Jesus, through the book, is being portrayed by the human author of the book, Matthew, as Messiah. And the word, the Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one. It goes back to passages like Second Samuel chapter 7. Where God promised to King David that his descendant would sit on his throne forever and ever over a kingdom of righteousness and peace. And Matthew's been writing to show Israel that Jesus is indeed this promised king, the Messiah. We've also seen that in the recorder for us just Prior to this in chapter 12, that Israel's religious leaders come to a point where they officially reject Jesus as their king. And following that rejection, Jesus introduces some new truths, truth that the Old Testament prophets had not seen. There will indeed be a future for the nation Israel. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 assure us of that. And there will be a time when Jesus comes back to earth and sets up on David's throne as the Messiah and will reign over this literal kingdom that's been promised in the Old Testament. And Israel as a nation will come to faith in the person of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, in this period of time from when Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah until the time when he returns to earth and sets up the kingdom, Jesus here in chapter 13 is teaching that we are still kingdom people. That we are living during the age of a mystery form of the kingdom. And these parables in chapter 13 are designed to share truths about that mystery form of the kingdom. For example, we saw in the truth, uh, we saw truth in the parable of the soils that the message of the kingdom that, that Jesus is God and that through faith in him, one can become in right relationship with God and enter the kingdom. That message will go throughout the world, but 
many will reject that message. We saw in the parable of the mustard seed that this mystery form of the kingdom starts out small. Some would call it insignificant. I mean, 12 guys head out and share a message. And yet, it will become so pervasive that it will expand throughout the world. And last week we saw in the parable of the wheat and darnel, or the wheat and the weeds, that running coexistent with God's kingdom, Satan has a counterfeit kingdom, and Satan's kingdom gears toward undermining God's kingdom. Well, today, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus shares with us, yet once again, some new truth. And one of the main truths that he shares with us in this section is simply that God's kingdom is more valuable than anything else. I'm going to read this section out loud, starting in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they threw it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household Who brings out of his treasure things new and old. A few months ago, uh, the Wall Street Journal ran an article that kind of shocked me. Because it kind of affects me. And the gist of the article was simply this. Our kids don't want our stuff. And that was shocking to me. You know, I'm kind of at the end of the, of the boomer age. And, um, parents are finding that these things that they value so much, their kids don't want them. And oh, we have some valuable stuff to me. I mean, my, my grandpa Anderson, owned a grocery store downtown Minneapolis in the 1930s. And in that era, they would have used these big glass jars to store the items that they're selling. We have some of those big glass jars. My great-grandma Anderson came to the U.S. from Denmark. We have some of the tiny little plates she brought in her suitcase. We have a dining table that was 
a wedding present from my grandpa Anderson, who I never knew. He died when my mother was 12, to my grandmother. Oh, such precious stuff that our kids don't want. Finally, one day, my wife said, you know what? If we're going to have this stuff around here, we're going to use it. I thought, what? You mean you're actually... You're going to serve food on this plate that's like over a 100 years old that came from Denmark in my little Grandma Anderson's, great-grandma Anderson's suitcase. You're going to like put cookies on it? Yes. What's the point of having it if we don't use it? That was her line. And we have been. You know, there's an interesting question that all of us can ask ourselves as we look at this parable from Jesus. Jesus is saying that the absolute most valuable thing that any of us could have is to be a subject of the kingdom of heaven. That we could actually be members, part of God's kingdom. But if we are, we are each faced with a question. Am I utilizing my membership in the kingdom of God? Am I appropriating the great value that's been bestowed upon me? Or Am I keeping my being a part of the kingdom just kind of in a little cupboard somewhere? I like to think about it periodically. It gives me warm feelings. But I keep it locked up. Am I really appropriating in my daily life what I possess in my eternal life. So Jesus here begins by, with two very simple parables talking about the great value of the kingdom. In fact, he's going to say that the kingdom of heaven has greater value than anything else. You know, some people stand in rejection of Jesus because they have an attitude of, well, I want to enjoy my life. Christians don't enjoy life. I want to enjoy my life. I want to do what I want to do. And Jesus' point is that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything that we would give up for Jesus. It's the most valuable thing that any of us could have. Jesus begins with two parallel parables. Basically have the same message. The first is in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So in the ancient Near East we have a hired man. He's out working in the landowner's field. And he finds something of 
unsurpassable value. Guess what? It's not his. It belongs to the landowner, the guy who owns the field. We've got several people at Faith Bible Church that while under the employment of Collins have patents. It's kind of cool, but you don't really own the patents, do you? It, it belongs to the company. It belongs to your employer. And that's what it was in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East. That this man finds something of great value, but it's on my boss's land. It's his. So what does the hired man do? He doesn't dig it up. He just puts the dirt back over it again. And then he goes and liquidates all of his assets. He sells everything. Everything. He liquidates all of his assets. And then he goes and buys the field. Parable number two. Verse 45 and 46. Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have a pearl buyer. That's his life's work. He's continually, day after day, looking at pearls, purchasing pearls for resale. But one day, he finds the most precious of pearls that he has ever seen. And he goes and sells everything that he has in order to just purchase that one pearl. Now notice in both of these parables, in verse 44 and in verse 45, they both begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, Jesus' point is to be a member of the kingdom of heaven is the absolute most valuable thing that one could ever possess. It's, it, its value surpasses anything that we could imagine here on earth. Which causes us, or should cause us to pause and ask the question, am I appropriating the value of the kingdom? Am I enjoying it? Uh, another way of saying that is, am I living like a son or daughter of the king? Or am I living like a son or daughter of this world? Yo, those of you who have been at Faith Bible Church know that I love to pheasant hunt. I have pheasant hunted ever since I have been old enough to carry a gun and I used to walk along before. Most of the time just at my grandpa's farm. And in those years we had really good bird populations. I was down by my grandpa's pond one day on one side of some trees and my dad was on the other side of the trees and I had my little savage 410 bolt action with me and right on top of me must have been 30 to 40 pheasants came out right on top of me 
And my dad came across the trees and said, why didn't you shoot? And I said, I didn't know what to shoot at. There was just so many of them. I just kept going like this. I never fired my gun. I just love to pheasant hunt here in Iowa. Well, unfortunately, around here, our numbers aren't maybe what they used to. So sometimes when we pheasant hunt, we, we travel. And on the other side of the state, there's a farm that we sometimes go to that always intrigues me. We'll go up to the front door and knock on the door and inevitably the farmer will come out wearing his chore boots. My wife would kill me if I wore chore boots in the house, but he does. He comes out wearing his chore boots and uh, it's always interesting as the visit goes on. He has about maybe six to eight vehicles that have not run in years, uh, that flat tires, and some of them have sat there so long that the earth has come up around the tires and permanently formed around the flat tires. Some of them are up on blocks. He's got about 15 cats and they kind of live underneath his front porch and you can tell that because there's big gaping holes in the wood around the porch and he's got two little dog houses with little yippy dogs on chains and they're out barking and yipping around and I'm guessing the last time the house has seen any paint was about 1967 um, it's rough but it's interesting he owns a lot of ground and if you really think about it with egg farmland prices the way they are in Iowa He actually is a wealthy man, but he lives like a poor man. What Jesus is saying is that if I'm a member of God's kingdom, I possess something that is more valuable than anything possibly could be. But am I enjoying it? Are my life choices as such that I'm actually living out my salvation? Am I enjoying my walk with Jesus Christ? Am I allowing Jesus Christ to bring me my fulfillment? Am I living my life in such a way that I'm sensitive to sin in my life and I'm confessing it so that I can have this close relationship with him? Am I staying in my Bible, allowing God to talk with me and talking with him just like I would my spouse or a good friend? Am I allowing him, Jesus, to replicate his life through me? Or am I living out my Christian life more like the son of the world than a son of the kingdom or a daughter of the world than a daughter of the kingdom? Kind of having my Jesus cabinet. Where maybe I'll go to church periodically on Sunday morning. Or maybe once in a while read my Bible. um, Not really think about the Lord during the week. Maybe I think about him a little bit on Sunday morning. But pretty much have my life resemble what everybody else's life resembles. The pursuit of stuff. 
the pursuit of just making myself somehow feel happy to dull emptiness. You see, we can be part of the kingdom, but not appropriate the depth of the wealth of being part of the kingdom. Well, Jesus here, after reminding us of the great value of being part of the kingdom, goes back to a truth that he shared when he shared the parable of the wheat and the darnel, the wheat and the tares. That there is a counterfeit kingdom going on at the same time as this mystery form of the kingdom. In fact, some people actually are living so that it appears that they are part of God's kingdom, but they're really not. And what Jesus is sharing again in verses 47 through 50 in this parable of the dragnet is the same truth that he shared in verses 36 through 42 that at some point there's going to be a separation of those who are part of God's kingdom and those who are part of Satan's kingdom. We believe here at Faith Bible Church that Jesus Christ could come back for us any moment. He could come back today. He could come back right now. And we believe passages like 1 Thess 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 teach that Jesus is going to come back for the church. And in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we who are alive are going to be caught up in the air and meet him. And all who have put their faith in Jesus who have passed away, their bodies are going to be reconstituted, joined with their spirits, and changed into new bodies. Bodies just like like Jesus had. Recognizable bodies. Remember after Jesus rose from the grave. They could still feel the nail prints in his hand. And we are going to be with Jesus. And there's going to be a seven year period of time. Where we're going to be just banqueting with Jesus. We're going to be enjoying being with him. At the same time here on earth. There's going to be a period of great tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation, Jesus is going to return with the saints. You can see that in Revelation 19 and 20. Going to return with the saints to earth to set up his kingdom. There's passages, for example, in the book of Zechariah that say that that Jesus' feet are going to come down and touch the Mount of Olives and the mountain will be split. There will be topographical changes. And when Jesus comes back down to earth to set up the kingdom, there's going to be a judgment. And all of those who have stood in rejection of Jesus during that seven year period of tribulation may have even claimed to know him, but in their hearts rejected him. They're going to be cast into hell. And all of those who have trusted Jesus, including According to Romans 9, 10, and 11, national Israel who will put their trust in Jesus, all of those will enter into the kingdom. Just in their physical bodies, they'll still have children during the kingdom. So Jesus here is talking about this separation 
that here in our scheme of things at Faith Bible Church, we believe will happen at the end of the tribulation period. And here's what he says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be a judgment. It's going to be a judgment of those who are rejecting Jesus when he returns to earth to reign over the kingdom. And Jesus uses this parable. They could have done this one of two ways. Sometimes they would take two boats out into the water, have the dragnet between them, and then bring both boats toward the shore. Another way of doing it is tying off one end of the net on land, taking one boat out with the other end of the net, and then having a rope attached to it and just draw it back. Either way, the parable shows them drawing back fish. And there's good fish and bad fish. Depending on where you live around here, that would depend on what kind of fish you'd think. For, for me, there'd be like walleye in there and bullheads. And the bullheads go out in the field. It's junk. So they have good fish and bad fish. And uh, they take them. And the good fish, which in this parable represent those who are trusting in Jesus, they're going to go into the kingdom. But those who stand in rejection, the bad fish in this parable, are cast into hell. Even though they tried to look the part, some of them. This afternoon, Barbara and I are going to drive to Chicago. And then tomorrow, we're going to get onto an airplane and go spend some time with one of our adult sons. Who works for Transamerica, but is on loan to their parent company, Aegon, and is temporarily living for 18 months in The Hague in the Netherlands. And during our trip, we're going to use several kinds of transportation. We'll be on airplanes, we'll be on trams, we'll, we'll be on trains. Now, having done this before, depending on what part of the world we're in, uh, we're going to get on that train, and at some point, some guy's going to walk through our train car and want to see our ticket. And if I have a ticket... I can relax. But if I don't have a ticket, it's not good. And Jesus is simply saying here, in order to enter the kingdom, you have to have the ticket. Well, how do I have the ticket? Throughout the gospel of Matthew, Matthew records for us Jesus' words that talk about how one enters the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Not by our own righteousness, right? That doesn't work. In fact, Jesus said you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven except being those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize how sinful they really are. And he also talked about how a lot of people think they're on the pathway to heaven and it's kind of like a wide road. And that wide road just leads to destruction. It's only through a narrow path, through a narrow gate. And what Jesus was talking about was through himself that one enters the kingdom. 
Later, the other gospel, the apostles, flesh that out for us after the cross and help us see that one enters the kingdom through putting one's faith in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, God is completely holy and righteous. There's no sin in God at all. And because he's our creator, he has the right to demand holiness from his creation, but none of us are. We all do things and think things that are contrary to God's character and contrary to what he says is right and wrong in the Bible. And we can't fix that because we're sinners. And we can't do enough good things to somehow earn merit with God that would cause him to say, okay, you can be part of the kingdom. In fact, the Bible is really clear that all that we deserve is punishment, death, separation from God. But God's not only holy and righteous, he's also loving toward us and saw our plight. So sent the, he sent the second person of the Trinity, the son, to earth who was born of a virgin and was lived a sinless life on earth as 100% God, 100% man, the God man. So that he would be equipped, he'd be able to die on the cross to pay for other people's sin. Your sin, my sin. And then... After on the third day rose again from the dead. Proving his claims that he is God. And the good news is. Is that we can have that payment that he made for sin. Credited to the account of our lives through faith. Through believing that Jesus is God. That he died for us and rose again. Through trusting that His payment for sin is all that I need to enter into God's kingdom. It's coming to a point in our lives where we finally say, I realize I'm separated from God and I can't fix it. And we take the dependence for our life off of ourselves, thinking, hey, I'm a pretty good person. And we put the dependence of our life, our trust, onto the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only way that I can be right with God. And at the moment I put my faith in him, my trust in him, my dependence on him, I am transferred into the kingdom of the son, the kingdom of heaven. That is my ticket. Jesus Christ. And as Jesus has shared the truth that there's nothing more valuable Then the kingdom of heaven, he reminds us that we can't fake our way in. Well, he comes to the end of this section of parables and he says to his disciples in verse 51, Hey guys, do you get it? Remember, he's gone back into a house with the twelve, sharing these last parables. And in verse 51, he says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yeah, yes, we do. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, 
they kind of got it. They didn't get everything, but they got it. And the more they walk with Jesus and after the cross, they get a whole lot more. But Jesus' point here is important for us to recognize that kingdom people have the ability given to them to understand God's truth and to apply it to our lives. The religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't get it. In fact, they just, in their rejection, they didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say at all. But Jesus is saying that those who become part of the kingdom, they're like a scribe, a teacher of the law, but with insight. And so he says every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, he has this new treasure and, and he can actually understand truth. And he can not only understand the truth that the Old Testament prophets understood, but he can understand these mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus is sharing right now. And Jesus is speaking of what he talks more about throughout his earthly ministry about the spirit of God who's going to come after his death on the cross and resurrection and actually dwell in the lives of men and women and boys and girls who put their trust in Christ. And John chapter 14, 15, and 16 talks about how the Spirit of God teaches us and helps us apply God's word to our hearts and our lives. Apart from him, we just don't get it. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll just read those verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And here's how Paul describes it. He first starts talking about a natural man. That's a person who does not believe in Jesus. And they're just their sinful flesh is in charge of their life. Holy Spirit's not in them. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And Paul's just describing this transformation that takes place when one enters the kingdom of heaven. This new spiritual insight that's given by the Spirit of God that actually allows us to know how to apply the truths that Jesus is sharing. We're asking the question, if I'm a kingdom woman, a kingdom man, am I appropriating my highly privileged position? And that's not something that I can do for you or a Bible teacher can do for you. That's something that the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, does in you. This coming winter, Barbara and I are going to do some remodeling in our kitchen. If you ever see those world's ugliest kitchens, ours is close to that right now. We've got... Our cupboards are this fiber board and the doors are kind of pull out. The, the fiber 
has gotten so deteriorated that the hinges don't work right anymore and they're hanging down. It's just, it's kind of embarrassing. But we're going to do something about it. And so while we're going to get rid of the cupboards, we're going to take out a wall and open things up a little. And one of the things we're going to do is have an island in our kitchen. I'm having a hard time picturing what it will look like. I've always struggled with being able to visualize stuff. I, I've shared before, I, I grew up in Iowa and we had these standardized tests. We've always had them in Iowa. And when I was in high school in Iowa, we had a section in the standardized test on pattern development. I always just did terrible. I'd get in like the 25 or 30 percentile on those. So it's like this pattern that's unfolded and you have to say what it looks like when it's going to be folded. I just, I can't do it. It, I'm just terrible at it. So we're looking at this plan for this kitchen and I just, I don't get it. I don't understand how the island's going to fit into the kitchen. I don't understand, you know, where it's going to be. I look at the blueprint. I just can't figure it out. I'm downstairs this last week. And Barbara says, hey, come upstairs. I want to show you something. And I said, oh, I'm doing something, but I'll come up. And I could tell she really wanted me to come upstairs. So I come upstairs. And Barbara had built a model of the exact size of the island in our kitchen right where it's going to be. It was phenomenal. She took our kitchen table and then used cardboard cutouts and went off at an angle and she had the, the, uh, angles correct and the size correct in the exact placement of the blueprint. And all of a sudden this light came on and I could see, I can see the island. I can see that I could be over here kneading bread and she could be unloading the dishwasher and we wouldn't get in each other's way. And I could just, I could just see it. I could touch it. I could reach out. And all of a sudden the light came on and said, yes, I understand. You've made it clear for me. And that's what God does for every child of the kingdom. He takes what is impossible for us to grasp. And through the spirit of God enables us to in a sense, walk around this thing in the Christian life and figure out this Christian life and, and the difference that Jesus Christ can make in my life if I only take him out of the cupboard and actually appropriate the empowerment that each and every one of us have been equipped with through the person of Jesus Christ and his indwelling spirit of God. But the question remains, am I living my life as a child or daughter of the king? Now you may be here today and you're not sure if you are part of his kingdom. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you today, immediately after service, one of our elders, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church will be back in our prayer room. We have some material we'd love to give to you. You can just take, open up the first chapter of it, take out your Bible, 
Look up passages of scripture in your Bible that show you how you can know for sure that you're right with God. That you are a son or daughter of the kingdom through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Many of us here this morning have done that. And we are still faced with the question, am I treating Jesus like my grandpa Anderson's bowl or his uh, jar from his store in Minneapolis? Am I just keeping him over on a shelf that I like to talk about and like to look at once in a while, but it really doesn't affect my daily life? Or am I appropriating what it means to be a Jesus follower so much so that it's actually part of my daily life. I'm not just compartmentalizing Jesus and taking him out maybe on a special day like a Sunday morning. But the rest of the week just living the way I want to. More like being a part of the kingdom of the world than a son of the king or a daughter of the king. Jesus here is saying to be part of the kingdom is the absolute most valuable asset we could have. Am I living like a child or of the king? Or do I have this invaluable asset, but living as if I'm poor? That's the question that begs an answer from Jesus to you and to me. Father, we thank you for these verses and the truth therein. It's such a privilege to have a relationship with you through Jesus. Help each of us to understand that great value of what it truly means to be a son or daughter of the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.